I mean, she yep. was her her program. She was a, a morning show host with Bernard White, and mm-hmm. and Democracy Now was a segment on the morning show. And uh, we ju- we just have to make room for the for the creativity and the alternative voices. That's what this that's what this is about. For sure. We're just about running out of time. So I, 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 I hate to cut you off. I appreciate the call. But I, you do have to bear with us. I mean, we know that there's going to be some changes that, that are going to come down the pike from uh, with WBAI. And we're going to try to improve the station. But we don't know if it's an improvement unless we hear from you. So we do have to call upon the, uh, the listeners and the callers to, to voice their concerns and uh, talk about the shows that you want to hear and the, perhaps the ones you don't want to hear. I don't know. But uh, we do have to we know that there's some changes coming and we'll see what, what those changes result in. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm a, I'm a part of a, a positive change. Um, maybe we'll we'll stick with our two hours. Uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll advocate for that all day. So, uh, to be Johnny, I want to thank you for coming in. Just just for last sure. minute, Reggie, I want to thank you for no uh, for assisting us with this. You know, kind of a strange broadcast. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's what we do. And uh, I'll I'll see you next week. Tonna. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and WBAI.org online. And yes, we are back. We are locally controlled here once again here at WBAI. Um, this is local programming in its at its finest. And if you appreciate the type of program that we will continue to bring and provide you, uh, please, by all means, go to give to WBAI.org online. Give to give to the number two WBAI.org online. And as mentioned before, as I mentioned during the earlier part of the program, the previous program, the 516 number is not available yet. Okay. It will trying to get that up and running once again. But for those people and just, just, Spread the word about this. Give to WBAI.org would be the place to go in order to donate to this radio station. So with that said, it is now two minutes past 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons coming up. Welcome back to Driving Forces. It is wonderful to be back in the studio with Reggie today. Thank you so much for our dedicated listeners, everyone I have heard from over the last few weeks. Uh, This is Jeff Simmons, your host. It is amazing to have a locally controlled WBAI back on the airwaves today. I have to say... To all of our dedicated listeners, the people who've approached me on the street, people from my life who I did not know were even listening, but have sent me messages and have called and just expressed their uh, anger over what had taken place and their hope at the same time that we could return our local programming to this station. I want to say thank you for the last month. Uh, it was about a month, actually. Just, it, today today marks a month. One month, yes. Yeah. and. I, and I've been incredibly impressed and grateful uh, uh, to the elected officials who also were out there showing their support for us. And one of them is going to join us in the second half of this show today, uh, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. But I also want to give a shout out to uh, Council Majority Leader Lori Cumbo, who had stood on the steps of City Hall at the press conference where many of your familiar voices here on the station were standing there, uh, led by uh, Mimi Rosenberg uh, and a number of others. Uh, 
you know, who are championing the return of BAI, I want to thank you very much. I also want to give a shout out. Uh, and Linda did this afternoon, Linda Perry, when she was on the show. Um, I want to give a shout out to Frank Morano of AM 970, oh, yeah, yeah, who yeah. consistently yeah. has, uh, yeah, right, Reggie, you've listened to it too. He, he has consistently been out there praising our station. And you know, it, it's something to be pointed out. And, and, and this is what I really appreciate personally is that even though the ideologies we may not have to agree with, but the idea that there's a platform to be out, to be put out there for expressions to be put out there, that's what matters. And so big props to Frank Morano, definitely. Yeah, Frank had me and John McDonough on the show this past Sunday. Many people were not awake, but I have to tell you, you got a lot of phone calls at 5 in the morning. I believe it. But also, I mean, right before us, Arthur Schwartz, our attorney, was on, uh, giving the latest on the updates of this case. Uh, and a shout-out to Arthur as well for his yeoman's work on all of this. So with driving forces coming back, I just I, you know, so much news has happened on a city, state, and, and national level. And I know next week, as these uh, discussions of impeachment continue, we're going to have a lot to talk about, and even cases going before the Supreme Court. But we will continue to focus on the issues that matter to you on a city, state, and national level. And earlier this week, uh, I'm sure many of you knew, hopefully, Many of you were out there at the polls uh, voting on Election Day. There were a few races, uh, and there were also the charter revision questions. Uh, Reggie, did you remember to vote? I was one of the 1%. One of the one percent that voted okay. in this case. I, yes. I was out there at six <laughs> twenty, six thirty in the morning. I know I could have done early voting, but you know what? Nothing else is conflicting with me between six and seven a.m. And I know I can get to the polls every time. So I was there. But what, there were two races uh, that were that we paid attention to here in the city. The public advocate, Jumani Williams, uh, who we invited on the show today. His office said he could not at the last minute, but he will do one of the shows coming up, um, was, re, was elected as public advocate. And also the other race we were all watching was in Queens. Uh, the Queensborough president, Melinda Katz, uh, handily uh, won the general election to become the borough's next district attorney. Um, you know, you remember that it was a combative Democratic primary and it come down to the wire. Uh, so even on uh, primary day, the, the uh, decision did not uh, was not final on that day as they recounted all the ballots. Well, this was much easier this time uh, in the general election. And Melinda Katz, uh, who replaces Richard Brown, the longtime district attorney, uh, will assume that office on January 1st. And she now joins us back here on Driving Forces. Melinda, welcome back to WBAI. Yeah, thank you, and welcome back to you. Thank Thanks you. to Reggie and to the whole team. Congratulations. I'm honored to be, I guess, the first guest. The first guest uh, back, you know, as we come back. So thank you so much. I appreciate that very much. It's an honor, and I congratulate you for the great fight and uh, looking forward to working with you in the future here. So I, I was watching New York One on election night. I saw, you know, Juan Manuel was trying to corner you in that very crowded Democratic headquarters, <laughs> trying to ask a few questions, you know, with Greg Meeks trying yep. to move you along as well. But, you know, I, and it could not be a long interview at that point. So let me just, you know, give you some more of an opportunity now to speak. Um, what would you say is the key message you want to let the people, you know, of Queens out there know about how you're going, you know, your vision for this office? <laughs> You know, Jeff, I thank you very much. It was a crowded night that night. We were excited to win 76% of the vote or 75% of the vote. Um, you know, we truly, after a long primary and after um, seven people dividing the vote so much, it was important for us to show that Queens County stands unison uh, pretty much uh, and stands together as we move into the future. And there's a lot to be done here in Queens County. Uh, we need to revamp this office. We need to bring criminal justice reform here to the borough of Queens County, and I think my main message was uh, that really people understood and it made sense to them that you can have justice for victims and justice for defendants. They're not mutually exclusive. And to make sure that we do both is something that I am committed to here in Queens County. And as you know, Jeff, you know, I have very strong relationships and ties to many of the community members and many of the community organizations. And I think at the end of the day, this is about trust and about the fact that people knew that I had enough experience in our neighborhoods, in our community, and as an attorney to bring those changes. But really, 
at the end of the day, the district attorney's job is to keep this borough safe. I think the difference is we have different ways of doing that. And as you look ahead, I mean, this is a short turnaround, uh, you know, less than two less than two months until you take this office. What would you say are going to be some of the key, um, you know, the key priorities as soon as you start in that role? Well, clearly we have to reorganize the office to reflect my policies and my programs and the way that I believe uh, criminal justice needs to move forward in this borough. Um, you know, I have great respect for a lot of the work it's done, but it hasn't been... Uh, revamped in, you know, 28 years or so. Uh, so we're going to have to look at uh, how it's structured uh, and who's there. But we need to fulfill uh, many of the things that we talked about during the campaign that are happening in other boroughs. You know, we need to make sure that we're not discounting plea bargains uh, after an indictment. We need to make sure that we're uh, ending cash bail completely. You know, the new laws come in January 1st, but they're really only misdemeanors and Class C nonviolent felonies. And you know, nobody should be in jail because they can't afford bail. You, know, you could commit a crime worthy of a million dollars in bail money. You could pay that bail. You could be home with your children for dinner that night. You could be walking your kids to school the next day. And meanwhile, someone who com- allegedly committed a crime worth $500 in bail is sitting in Rikers for months. And that's not the way the criminal justice system was supposed to happen. We need to have a conviction integrity unit. In Queens County, we need to look back at past convictions to make sure that nothing went wrong in the prosecution, that DNA hasn't caught up with making sure someone's innocent. Um, And so there's a lot to be done. It's happening in two months, January 1st. I'm glad that all of the sort of campaigning is behind us. Uh, But we have started working clearly on the last few months uh, on where we need to be. And you're mentioning you're glad all the campaigning is behind you. I think about the the uh, scenario uh, with the Democratic primary and, yeah. you know, the challenges that presented itself to you and to your competitor, uh, Tiffany Caban, at that time. How would you say that the progressive movement and Tiffany's campaign uh, impacted and <laughs> maybe influenced or reshaped your campaign and your vision on issues that you want to address? I know that they they like to sort of spin that. At the end of the day, uh, Jeff, you've known me a long time. Uh, I am a very I'm very adamant my views, uh, and I don't get influenced that easily by political circumstances. Cashville is wrong. It's always been wrong. Um, for 25 years, in every single office I have held, I have stood up to big interests. When I was in Albany, I stood up to the Catholic Church when we passed legislation against sexual abuse of children and many other organizations. When I was a co-sponsor of the Domestic Violence and Intervention Act of 1994, uh, in the council, we stood up to developers. So I, I think that, look, you know, the only play that there was out there was that I was changing. And at the end of the day, I have a 25-year history. And I'm on the record for everything I've done in my life. I've made some mistakes. Uh, but mostly I think we stood up when we had to stand up. Um, so I stand by my record uh, of always uh, being against the big organization and the big political powers. You remember, Jeff, I ran against the Democratic County 25 years mm-hmm. ago. So uh, news that developed this week that kind of took a lot of us by surprise, and I'm going to be asking my other guests about this as well, uh, is the uh, announcement about a new police commissioner, uh, starting as of December 1st, Dermot Shea, uh, a number of uh, elected officials did raise concerns, including our public advocate, Jumani Williams, about the highest ranking African-American uh, member of the police department being passed up for this position and raised concerns about this, uh, noting uh, division between communities of color and police. What are your thoughts on the uh, announcement and the selection of Dermot Shea? Well, I want to get to know Dermot Shea a lot better and the work that he's going to do. Jimmy O'Neill was in Queens County quite a bit, working on diversity issues, meeting with our mosques, meeting with our churches, our synagogues, uh, and really working a lot with the cure violence organizations that were in our communities. So I think there was a little bit of faith in him from almost every uh, neighborhood. Uh, But at the end of the day, Dermot Shea is now the police commissioner. I can only tell you that in our office, as we move forward, we're looking at um, 
Queens County and making sure that our office reflects the diversity of this great borough. As you know, we have 190 countries with 200 languages, and we need to make sure that uh, that diversity is shown in our county. Um, but, you know, look, we look forward to working with the new police commissioner. I hope he continues some of the community outreach. Um, but, you know, as you know, uh, we need to make sure that these criminal justice reforms are done. Uh, and so we're hoping to work together. So we've got just about two minutes left. And as you look towards the future, I kind of want to look towards the past a bit. What do you want your legacy to be uh, in your current role, and uh, your legacy in the borough president's office? You know, I'm the most proud of the fact that I became the borough president. Um, and we worked immediately on immigration issues, on fairness, on equity, standing up for women's rights. Uh, and then, you know, number 45 became the president, uh, and, and that role became even more crucial to make sure that we were outspoken about pro-choice and choice, to make sure that we were outspoken about the need for gun control in every state, but really by the feds, to make sure that we don't have gun traffickers coming across state lines, to make sure that we uh, stood up for immigrants and all of the documented, undocumented individuals here who therefore raise families and have a better life for their kids than they ever dreamed of having for themselves because that's really what Queens County is about as a sanctuary city but also as the most diverse area on the planet. And we stood up every step of the way to make sure that we testified against the public charge amendment, to make sure that ICE would not be allowed in the courthouses as much as possible that we could do. Um, so I think that we were in the right place at the right time thankful that I found a very strong voice to help advocate for people of Queens County. Uh, and I am very um, excited uh, about the future of the district attorney's office to seek equity and really to do what the district attorney's office is supposed to do, which is to seek justice. Melinda Katz, thank you so much for joining me. Now, oh, last question. They have not announced a date yet for a special election to fill your position, correct? I'm not out yet, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, that's right. They have to wait until after. Okay. Um, yes, I'm still sitting as the borough president until December 31st at midnight. That's when they then, okay. I know in this business people try to, but, you know, we until uh, December 31st, my gut tells me it'll be sometime in the middle of February or towards the end of February. Got it. Melinda Katz, thank you so much for joining us back here on Driving Forces on BAI. Appreciate it. Thank you, and good luck to everybody, and congrats. Thank you. So for um, Reggie and me, we have a very special treat today, and I hope it's a treat for our listeners as well. I know Reggie has been excited about what we're about to do. Yeah, I'm ecstatic. (laughs) So uh, when we first launched Driving Forces about 14 months ago, I had a wonderful co-host known back then as Celeste Katz, but now known as Celeste Katz Morston. She moved to Boston a few months ago, got married. Uh, so, but she's been regularly providing news reports and will continue to do that for the Sunday City Watch show at six o'clock. Uh, but she wanted, uh, you know, she's been very assertive in reminding people about what has been going on here with BAI the last few weeks. And so we wanted to have her on. So Celeste, welcome back to your show, Driving Forces. Thank you so much, Jeff. And hey, Reggie, it is great to be back on the air with you. And I cannot tell you how excited I am to have BAI back in local control and back on the airwaves. Really, really, really thrilled for everybody. In fact, I mean, that was like the first thing I wanted to ask you about when we spoke. And I resisted calling you today because I wanted it to be fresh for the air. What has what has it meant to you and to the people who also talked to you over the last month about BAI and its history and its presence here in the city? You know, it has really been uh, an issue that people have been talking about. And when we the station first uh, went to this sort of national seed, this uh, Pacifica across America uh, sort of generic seed, I think a lot of people really missed out. A lot of people were frankly horrified. And even up here in Boston, where I now live, as you mentioned, I can tell you, uh, I have been uh, doing some freelance work even up here uh, for a national public radio show. And people at national public radio have said to me that they knew about what happened to WBAI and that they thought it was an absolute shame. So I can definitely tell you that this is, uh, although it's obviously very, uh, very important and, and vital 
few people in New York who rely on WBAI for something completely different, for commercial-free, community-free speech radio. It is not limited to New York or to the New York metro area. People know about this, and they care. And, you know, one of the things that really annoyed me about the timing of all of this, and you, you know, know why this was important, was we had just started here our fundraising drive, and we're, it was be, it was being very successful on a daily basis, taking in quite a, a, a lot of money, uh, for each day, uh, and then suddenly this was, was cut off. Um, you know, you were a BAI buddy as well. And, you know, I listened to Linda earlier on the air today. And, the, you know, one of the concerns expressed is that when this happened, BAI buddies were saying, I've got to, you know, I can't do this now. I don't know where the money's going. And we're hoping they return. Why did you like to be a BAI buddy? I really felt, for, for a couple of reasons, uh, on a very personal level, WBAI, for me, as somebody who had been a reporter for a very long time in print and digital, but was sort of uh, moving towards learning more about radio, WBAI was a real classroom for me. It was a resource. I learned a lot from the people. I learned from the experience of producing and hosting a program with you and with people like Reggie or uh, uh, James or Michael, Sean, any of the people that uh, have been uh, have been working with us on these programs. Uh, so for me personally, it represented an opportunity that, uh, quite seriously, I'm not exaggerating this, changed my life, absolutely changed my life, opened up an entirely new chapter for me in my career. And uh, more broadly, in, in a general sense, I have not heard, and I certainly did not hear when BAI was on this sort of national feed, uh, anything like the kind of programming that you get uh, at 99.5. I think that people really miss out when there is not uh, there is not a venue for, as Reggie said earlier, different kinds of voices to be heard, different kinds of programming. Now, you don't have to agree, and I think a lot of people don't. You don't have to agree with the viewpoints of everybody that you hear on WBAI. But you do get something very unique that taps into what New York is really about. Uh, living away now for even just a few months, uh, you are constantly reminded that New York is a very, very unique place, not just because it's it's big and it's crowded and it's noisy and it's exciting and there's uh, there's a lot of drama, but because of the people who live there and all these different viewpoints and experiences uh, and and sort of struggles that people have in their lives. And you hear about those things on WBAI in a way that you don't uh, hear them elsewhere. I remember during some of the coverage even, uh, and then I'll, I'll let you get a word in because I'm just so excited to be back <laughs> on the air here, but I remember during some of the coverage of what was happening when the station was, was off the air, uh, out of local control, was uh, one of the people who was quoted, I believe, was um, related to the the so-called Central Park Jogger case. And, and it was a woman who was a relative of one of the people involved Shura in that Salam. case. Yeah, and specifically said, you know what, when I wanted to talk about this, WBAI was one of the very, very few outlets who would even listen to me. I think that really matters. I think that having a place for people to go that is not uh, not sort of this gigantic conglomerate type media outlet is really really important not just for the media landscape but for the the life the lives and uh and experiences of the people who make up the city and it's 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 so interesting you say that because that was one of the issues that we briefly discussed on am 970 on on Sunday morning, there was a caller who mentioned something about uh, BAI providing great insight into resistance to the Vietnam War, uh, you know, and he hadn't heard that in a while. And coincidentally uh, and frustratingly, that was my next show that was coming up on Sunday on City Watch when I was having authors in of a new book, uh, a number of essays about resistance to, uh, to the conflict. Um, and so I've invited them back, you know, for our listeners now, I've, I've invited them back. I'm hoping that we can get one of them on this coming Sunday before Veterans Day. Uh, as well as reaching out to the uh, um, the mayor's uh, veterans office to have someone on because we know who's 
going to be in town on Monday, uh, kicking off the Veterans Day parade. So, yeah, so Re- Reggie uh, obviously will not be going to 24th and Broadway on Monday afternoon. Um, but, you know, that insight, I mean, I think of Occupy Wall Street, Celeste, that this was a station that provided so much robust coverage and, and, and viewpoints that you didn't hear everywhere else. And you and I have been uh, spent a lot of time in local news in New York City, both obviously alumni of the New York Daily News, you were in New York One, uh, the Post, different places. But both of us spent a lot of time covering the city council, covering uh, you know community boards, covering uh, crime, covering education, all these things. I think if you look at America in general, and even in New York, which is a pretty media-rich environment, you are starting to develop these sort of local news deserts where there is just not enough staff to cover everything. It's uh, super expensive. Budgets are contracting and so on. And people really miss out. And that's a place where a station like WBAI can really, really fill this essential role of letting people know what is going on in their own communities. People are talking a lot about national politics, and that's really important, and that's a big part of what I do, and I'm all for that. But covering the mayor, covering your city council member, covering your community board, or uh, your civilian complaint review board, covering the MTA, uh, these are things that directly impact people's lives, how well their kids are educated how safe their streets are, whether they get to work on time, how their, you know, how their tax dollars are spent. And to lose, uh, to lose a venue like WBAI, especially right now, I think is a tragedy. So, so I'm very, very glad to be, uh, to be, part, of, uh, be part of your triumphant return. And driving forces, i got to admit, even though I'm not there with you every Thursday, it's still a good show. Well, thank you so much. But in fact, I want to talk about another show. Um, looking ahead, you know, you know, read the tea leaves. Uh, you will still be filing reports here at WBAI for Sunday night's uh, City Watch show at six o'clock. What are some of the issues you expect to be kind of looking at uh, to provide us with those news updates? Because I know that you are a political junkie and you're following what is going on, not just what took place you know, earlier this week on Election Day, but also what is going on nationally. Sure, absolutely. I mean, we are obviously very, very much well into election 2020. It seems like it's a year away, but for uh, for the amount of coverage that it's getting and deserves to get, it could be tomorrow. So we are certainly going to be looking at what's going on in Washington, uh, seeing how our lawmakers in New York are, uh, are participating in that. We have some uh, very, very big players. Uh, in the New York metro area who are part of that, not to mention uh, the people who are uh, running for president who would like to get Donald Trump out of office. So certainly we will be looking at that. And we will be looking, of course, at impeachment proceedings, a lot of new uh, information coming out this week, new testimony, people uh, responding to subpoenas, not responding to them, and so on. So certainly a wealth of of, uh, questions to be asked about all that stuff. And it will be my absolute pleasure to encapsulate some of that uh, as a lead into your program on Sunday evening. And for me, one of the issues I'm really focused on is the uh, Supreme Court case that is coming, or it's uh, actually multiple cases. I think it's three going before the Supreme Court uh, regarding the Dreamers. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so that's for me. That's something I, I really want to uh, uh, look into. Celeste, thank you so much for uh, for calling in. Uh, before I forget, uh, we ask every guest this, so hopefully you don't trip this up. How can people learn more about you? I think the best way to do that is just uh, find me on Twitter, and I am now and will always be Celeste Katz NYC. And not related, as you always say, but did not, not related to our first guest, Melinda Katz. I know, I know. Well, I kept I kept my, uh, my maiden name, and I added my husband's name, so still not related to Melinda Katz, but uh, always glad to meet new people on Twitter, and very, very glad again to be back here on WBAI. Congratulations to you and to everybody. And I also want to wish a happy birthday to your mother today. Happy birthday, Mom. Thanks again, Celeste. Thank you.
So in a few moments, we're going to have a special guest on, someone who I have to say was fantastic in speaking out in support of returning local programming here at WBAI. We're going to have our Brooklyn Borough President, uh, Eric Adams, on. Uh, I mentioned a few moments ago uh, that uh, we had uh, – you know, planned for a segment uh, with several authors of a book on uh, the Vietnam War and resistance to it. And so what I've done is, you know, I'm a, if you don't know me, I'm very organized. Some would say I'm very anal, as Celeste would say. And so I had planned out a few shows and I've reinvited those guests on for the next few weeks or will be reaching out. Uh, and that included uh, Assembly Member Catalina Cruz, uh, who I hope to have on again soon because uh, with the Supreme Court case that I just mentioned, it's a, she has a very distinctive voice being the first dreamer elected to the state uh, uh, assembly here in New York State. We also had Ruben Diaz Jr. Uh, booked, and he is going to be in studio. We ha- don't have a new date yet, but uh, he is going to take listener phone calls. Uh, you know, we want to have on the all of the uh, potential, because not everyone's declared, all the potential uh, or declared mayoral candidates. Uh, I'm sure that many of you had heard that uh, today in the news, uh, the, I believe it might be the second woman to announce that she's running. Uh, for mayor here in New York City, Lori Sutton, who had been the head of the mayor's office of Veterans Affairs, uh, will be reaching out to have her on at some point as well. Uh, I want to thank our listeners again, but I also do want to thank the media outlets. And Celeste had noted this, and Linda was talking about it this afternoon, about the media coverage that we had. And it was really uh, illuminating to see how many members of, you know, what would be considered competing stations and competing outlets, uh, you know, rising to the cha- well, not rising to the challenge, rising up and saying uh, on air or, you know, suggesting in their copy uh, that we need a voice like this. But there was some real comprehensive coverage. And I know that Linda had expressed concern about an outlet or two. Um, but I do want to thank a few uh, outlets like WNYC Radio, uh, AM 970. I mean, over at WNYC Radio, they reached out immediately wanting to put it out there to let people know. Black Star News as well. Brooklyn Paper, who I believe was going to be here this afternoon, Reggie. They were here earlier. To take some photos? Yes, they did. Um, Leonard Green uh, of the Daily News had reached out to me. We got a front page story. Of course, I forgot the headline, and I should remember this, in the Amsterdam News that gave yes, us yes. that gave us significant coverage. And yes, I want to thank Nayaba Rinde uh, for her coverage. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Megan McGoldrick of the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, mm-hmm. you know, presented both sides, but she yeah. was very, you know, uh, thorough in, you know, repeatedly calling, you know, to find out the latest updates when we're going to court. And also Noah Manscar of Patch has repeatedly covered this. And uh, he's also going over to the New York Post. Uh, ah. That's one of the developments since ah. he started covering this. But a lot of these folks also were there on at the steps of City Hall when that press conference was held and led by uh, Mimi. Uh, you know, a few were you ago. at the press conference? Yeah, I was doing some social media. Okay. Yeah, Bertolt was... Uh, so how many people were there? I'm okay. I want to estimate, and Linda, you could run in here and tell me if I'm wrong. I want to estimate there were about 75 people okay. on the steps, but there were a significant amount also, um, you know, who from City Hall who I watched come down the steps from inside to watch this. Uh, and we had a, a good amount of coverage. Also, New York One, Janine Ramirez of ah. Brooklynite was there that day covering. Ah. Uh, and, you know, it was really uh, happy that I was able to track down that news clip afterwards because New York One doesn't put everything on air anymore. Uh, I'm sorry, right. on, online anymore. Right. Uh, but Janine did some live shots at the press conference, which was very nice of, uh, of her and her station to be able uh, to highlight this issue. Uh, but, you know, it was really important that we, um, you know, we were able to show a, a, a strong uh, force on the steps uh, that day. That is important. So, uh, you know, for those of you who are tuning in, you know, we you are listening to the return of local programming here on WBAI. This is the first day. 99.5 started uh, sometime overnight. It was supposed to start at about midnight. It started exactly at midnight. Wow. Yeah. And you were here then. No, I was not here. <laughs> I, otherwise, I wouldn't be here now. <laughs> uh, I was not here, but uh, I was, you know, checking to make sure that if everything, um, asking to make sure that the people who were supposed to do their job into making the switch over would happen. And I was asking, maybe borderline annoying at times, but nevertheless, we are back on the air. 
and um, and it is though it's good to be back on the air and 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 share local uh, perspectives out there like you're doing um, for this program. You know, uh, also we we have to go back into uh, eventually into the duties of raising money because. WBAI is solely listener sponsored here at uh, here at this radio station. We don't take, as mentioned before, and I'm mentioning again, we don't take any type of corporate funding. We don't take, we don't even take any type of government funding as well. But the point being is that for those people, while this show is on the air, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station. There has been a campaign that has not been officially launched, but I, I guess I could tell people now that uh, there is a challenge for all programs to do at least 10 buddies during this period of time, and I guess within a month's time. And so because the whole idea is to switch our focus on the premium itself is the program rather than just premium based programming as well. We're trying to flip the script for a lack of a better term. And one of those ways of doing it is for the listening audience like yourselves out there to donate to this radio station, show your support to this radio station, show your support to programs like Driving Forces and the program before Let's Talk um, by going to give to WBAI.org online. Give to the number two WBAI.org online. Um, we were in the middle of our uh, fund drive during the time when we were on the air before we were abruptly uh, taken off the air. So we need to play a lot of catch up. And a lot of catch up means you being a supporter to this radio station. And you could do so by going to give to WBAI.org. So uh, our next guest is just running a little late. Yeah. So instead, what we're going to do is go to who is going to be our final guest. Okay. We're going to get him on the okay. line right now. Uh, but again, uh, as Reggie said, you're listening to Driving Forces with me, your host, Jeff Simmons, back with local programming on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. And I, I agree with Reggie that the uh, that fundraising has been incredibly important. And it was really sad when this, uh, I'll say, incident took place right when we uh, were uh, at the beginning, only a few days into uh, our fundraising drive. So we're going to have the borough president on in a short while. But first, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier with, uh, I'll say that now, borough president, uh, uh, Melinda Katz, future DA, borough Katz, uh, Melinda Katz. Uh, I mentioned about the, uh, announcement earlier this week on Monday, uh, that the police commissioner, James O'Neill, is going to be stepping down and soon replaced come December 1st by Dermot Shea. Um, he's got a number of heady challenges ahead as he steps into the seat in a few weeks. I mean, one former NYPD sergeant had said, quote, the deck is stacked against him. But now to discuss a little about that, the challenges and also some concerns raised about his elevation is former NYPD chief of department, Philip Banks, who had left the department in 2014. Welcome to BAI. Hey, listen, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Happy to be here. So, uh, you know, when the announcement was made, it took a lot of people by surprise about the police commissioner uh, stepping down. I know it was since announced where uh, he's going over uh, to Visa, I think it was head of security. Um, uh, can you, uh, you know, a number of elected officials, including our public advocate, Jumani Williams, had expressed concern about uh, about passing up. Uh, you know, a prominent African-American uh, ranking uh, police uh, official in the department who actually had gone to Gracie Mansion thinking that he was going to be offered the job and instead found out the mayor had chosen someone else. Talk a little about what went through your mind when you heard about this. Well, you know, it was uh, the decision of the police commission is, is ultimately the mayor's decision. Right? He needs to be comfortable with who that person is. So first of all, to be clear that I know Dermot well. When I ran Comstat, he was the person who was in charge of uh, uh, the, the Comstat mode. So it was me and him, so like almost like a two-headed monster, with me in charge with him handling investigations. Very competent guy, um, very smart, very intelligent. So I think the police, the man, made a very, very good choice with Dermot. But the issue that I have with the police commission, and one of the reasons why I declined the first deputy commissioner role. Um, was that the commissioner, the mayor, appears to have, you know, he's he's pointed three commissioners, right, and all with three male iris, and three very competent guys who could do the job. But if you look at his track record, if you look at who he appointed to, corrections, uh, probation, 
when it comes to law enforcement in this, in this city, it seems like he might have a black male problem or a black problem. So I certainly find fault in the decision-making process of the mayor. Now, this has nothing to do with the incoming commissioner, Shea, who I think is going to do a very good job, I think, very highly of him. Uh, the mayor made a comment that he says that he is, in fact, the best person for the job. Well, I think that he's extremely qualified and competent to do the job. When you make a comment that you're the best, what you're saying is that no one else in that department can do as good of a job. And I, my question to the mayor would be, what criteria did you set uh, for that? So it seems like you appointed Bill Bratton, the commissioner, who was an ex- exceptional resume, and then you took his recommendation and you appointed Jimmy O'Neill, who did a very decent job, and then it seems like you took his recommendation. So while you had three candidates who are qualified for the job, you don't open the door for other qualified candidates. And this is what people of color or people who have been on the outside have said. Where's our chance and where's our particular shot? So Dermot, good choice. I think the mayor has a, has a black problem when it comes to even considering people of color for uh, positions in law enforcement. And I was going to say, do you see that as a broader problem with this administration, not exclusive to the NYPD? I think it's a broader problem with it. I mean, if you look at his, uh, his, who he's made as his chief of staff or his criminal justice coordinators, right? So who are the prominent people of color that he has put into real decision-making or policy-making decisions? And it seems like the mayor has been extremely lacking in that particular area. So some people make the mistake of saying that the people who he appointed are not competent. They're very competent. And the commissioner say, I'm confident going to do a very good job. But he seems to have, like, issue with putting people of color into prominent positions. And that's not just germane towards um, this administration. I remember when Bill Bratton came in and he took over as a police commissioner. And he used to ask me when he wanted to appoint blacks in different positions, well, who are the blacks that I should appoint? And I remember clearly telling him, I'm not your black person finder. If we set up a system that's, that's not corrupt, and it's fair, then the talent level will actually weed itself out. So you take a person like Bill Bratton, who traveled the whole country, right, and he had this outstanding reputation, but when he came back, the people he traveled with, they weren't people of color, um, they weren't people, there weren't even any women in his entourage, right? And I see the same type of pattern when it comes to this particular man. So it seems to be pervasive, and I think it's a problem, something needs to be looked at. So our, our um, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams had just announced with the uh, the Department of Education Chancellor, uh, you know, a new uh, program, a new initiative, uh, peer-to-peer training uh, to help, uh, you know, a public homeless public school students to lead, you know, interactive workshops to know how to respond to law enforcement if they're stopped by police. Uh, you know, uh, they're saying this is the first of its kind, this type of program. You know, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, you know, is this the right approach? Do you think there need to be other measures? Well, there's no panacea for one thing is is all. I remember that when Eric Adams was part of a group called 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement mm-hmm. Who Care, uh, a program was started where they would go out there and they would tutor and teach kids about what to do when you were stopped by police. And one of the mantras that that Eric Adams insisted was in it was to have respect for the police officers to listen to what they were saying. And that was a you know that was an institutionalized. That was a group who was on the outside actually teaching the community on what to do. So I think it's a I don't not understanding me not knowing the specific elements of the program that he's talking about. Um, if he puts the same staples in it that he did when he was part of 100 Blacks and Law Enforcement Key, I would have to say that it is a very, very good step, but there's also multiple other steps that we need to do to our bridges divide. You know, as, as you think of uh, the uh, video, I don't know if you happen to see it, but the video of the students and police officers clashing at the J Street Metro Tech uh, yes, subway station, and you think about how, you know, moving ahead, we can bridge this gap, how we can, you know, uh, show a healthy respect on both sides uh, for folks, because I know that there has then been the, the protests that had taken place and there was a lot of concern over how that unfolded. But when you, if you were advising the new police commissioner, 
on how to bridge that gap and how to bring people together, especially when there were these concerns raised about the process of bringing in Dermot Shea. Um, you know, what's, what advice would you give to that police commissioner about things that you think he should consider? Well, the first thing I would say, and I, and I say this when I, I speak to in council and, and have conversations with these chiefs all across the nation, is that I think that too many often law enforcement has looked upon uh, this issue in a very small-minded window, that this is an issue and the, the kids are sneaking on the train or the kids are being disrespectful to the police officers. They're not understanding the totality of the circumstances. Is that Why does these individuals feel the way they do about law enforcement? If you look at the African community as a whole, they are very, we are a very law-abiding community. We want law and order and we want structure, and we want to make sure that our communities are safe. But it's, it's hard when every single day that they feel as though that the system is stacked against them. So I would say to Dermot, and I think Dermot Shea, who I've known for a very long time, comes from a good family. His brother was on the job. His brother was, was clearly at the top of the list of the most dynamic people that I work for. He comes from good health. Is that you have to look at it from a wide range. These kids who are dealing with these systems that have been oppressive to them for so many times, they're, they're looking at it from a wide area. You need to as well. So what is the cop on the corner saying to them when they're asking them to leave the corner? What happens when they walk into the precinct? Do they, are they made to feel as though that their complaint is taken seriously? Uh, what happens if a cop is in the school? Is it just get on your way? Or is there any type of care or concern or compassion that's shown from them? So what I would say to Dermot, and I do think Dermot has the capacity with himself to look at it from a, a wide range, what is law enforcement doing from a holistic point of view that they need to change that will shape the image. And if you concentrate on that, then these small obstacles like sneaking on the train or dealing with the issues on the corner, a large part they will have themselves. Well, I want to thank you so much for uh, this quick turnaround and getting you on the show today. I really do appreciate it. Uh, uh, former NYPD Chief of Department Philip Banks, thank you so much for appearing on our, our return episode of Driving Forces here on WBAI. Glad to be here. Thank you very much, sir. So for our listeners, just want to remind you, you are listening to our local programming, which has returned as of midnight here on WBAI. I'm here with Reggie. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. And I do, as we get our, uh, wait our next guest calling in, I want to remind our listeners that you still can pledge, but the way you should pledge right now is to go to give to WBAI.org. That's correct. Yep, that's the way to do it because uh, we still don't have, what, the website? The other no, website the website back? we do have. We just don't have the pledged number that's functioning it. yet. We don't have the pledged number functioning. <laughs> and so this would be a great opportunity and a great time to remind listeners, as you have been doing, Jeff, to uh, tell folks that we are solely listener-sponsored and we rely on listeners like yourselves. So, and that's what has been really heartwarming over this last month yeah. since the, uh, uh, our local programming was taken over on October 7th. And since then, as I've mentioned during the show, we've had a number of elected officials speak out in support of bringing back our local programming. And we've got one of them on the line right now, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Welcome back to WBAI. How are you? It's great speaking to you. It's great hearing you on the air. As I stated, uh, you are the radio station um, for those of us who have been disruptors in so many different areas. I remember my days of the Rockefeller drug lords protesting with Randy Credico at Rockefeller Plaza and then making my way to Albany to be a co-sponsor of the bill. I remember the arguments around marriage equality and how you know this station allowed us to talk about that. So the intellectual conversation since 1955 uh, was clearly in our favor to fight for this vehicle. I don't know what Pacifica Radio was thinking about to even think they were going to take our station away from us. And they, they must not have been listening to the programming that has come out of this station that they didn't realize that you, were, you are the advocate's advocate radio station. And, in fact, that's what I was going to ask. If this did not return... It, you know what? What? How would you describe this loss, not just for the city, but for the progressive movement and the free press? Um, you know, mm -hmm. even independent radio is dependent on us 
to support, and we are dependent on it to get out our message. Mainstream radio stations are not going to go into the crevices of our community and, you know, have these conversations. A healthy democracy depends on a robust free press. There's no getting around it. If you don't have a free press in your democracy, you don't have a democracy. And it would have been devastating uh, for the uh, future Eric Adams and one of the blacks in law enforcement and Latino officers associations and uh, Black Lives Matter. We, we have been stymieing the conversation um, across this entire uh, city. It's frightening to think that it took this long. Um, and I really want to take my hat off to the steadfast of fighters with the stations. You are, you are definitely not armchair fighters. You got in the <laughs> streets, you mobilized, you informed, and you were dogmatic about it. And just really, there's a lesson here. There's another lesson here. Uh, because oftentimes young people believe uh, that, you know, don't listen to anyone over 40. Don't listen to anyone um, with gray hair. Um, and in reality, um, you know, you are the coaches for the young people movement. movement. Uh, LeBron James would not be great mainly because he knows how to shoot a ball. It's because he has a coach that nurtures him and tells him how to hone his craft. And you are showing them there's a reason they are able to stand tall because they're standing on your shoulders and the conversations that you put into the universe for so many years. So we've got just about five minutes left, and I do want to ask you, because I've talked with uh, uh, Borough President and incoming DA Melinda Katz about this, and I just talked uh, with uh, Philip uh, Banks about this as well. The uh, mayor announced a new police commissioner to take effect uh, on December 1st, Dermot Shea. There's been a, a number of uh, officials who've raised concerns about the process and the appointment. What was your reaction when you found out about this selection? I spoke with the mayor, and I was uh, truly alarmed and concerned. It sent the wrong message, in my opinion. Uh, when is the ebony skin tone of a black man is going to get in the way of his Ivory League credentials? Uh, when does that stop? 400 years of uh, uh, commemoration of slavery. I'm on my way to Africa to sign this sister city agreement with Gory Island uh, from the door of no return. And I ask myself, how do you look at a person like Commissioner Tucker, served under two police commissioners as a number two, uh, was a former police officer, is a lawyer, he has federal experience. If he is not qualified to be the police commissioner of the city of New York, then what does that say to every person who is of a different ethnic group? We have not had a commissioner of color ascend since Lee Brown, and many of the people in the city don't even know who Lee Brown is. So the message was wrong. Progressive city, it was a progressive man, but we didn't take a progressive step forward uh, to hire someone of diversity. We had an opportunity to hire a woman. I'm the first woman uh, to run the police department. The man doesn't have to repoint, uh, appoint within the rank and file. He can appoint anywhere he wants. I just thought it was a lost opportunity, a missed opportunity, and I'm really disappointed with the decision. And we've got just about two, two and a half minutes left. I did want to ask, I asked uh, uh, Philip Banks about this as well, your new initiative. You just announced something with the Department of Education Chancellor Richard Carranza about peer-to-peer training. Can you just give us a, a brief description of why you felt this was necessary now and what you hope it will achieve? 13 years ago, when I was in the New York City Police Department, we were stopping a million black and brown people in the city. We were arresting a great deal of them um, for uh, marijuana possession after we would think they were told to empty their pockets. Uh, and we knew that we had to not only take a strong stance to stop, stop and press. I testified in federal court when um, the lawsuit was put in place. But we also trained young people on what to do when stopped by the police. 13 years now have basically uh, passed by, and I've realized that we have an entire generation that were never informed of what they should do with their rights. And that is why we want to not be uh, teaching young people about seniors or adults, but in fact, let's peer-to-peer counseling. And that is why we're allocating $5,000. The mediation center is 
putting up $15,000. So that we have a total of $20,000 that's going to be used of all of this training on how, what to do without by the police. By teaching young people, they will go home and teach their family. They will not have these negative encounters like we saw at the Day Street Metro train station. That was a terrible environment. One officer actually um, created a more dangerous environment by punching young people in the face. So we're hoping to arm young people with information to not feel as though they have to be intimidated or make the wrong decision when they come in contact with police. And Chancellor is looking to expand this in schools. We believe this should be required training for all young people that they will become wiser and more intelligent in their interaction with police. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, again, I want to thank you for standing with WBAI over this last month, for appearing at, uh, at the press conference on the steps of City Hall, and for encouraging people to support uh, support our station. Reggie wants to add to his two cents. No, it's, I, I really appreciate the ongoing support that you have um, shown. Um, Eric Adams, uh, you have been a staunch supporter of this radio station. I know this because I have called you almost every time when it needs to be called, and you always get excited over the fact that you are on the air with WBAI, sharing your perspective and sharing things that usually doesn't get heard anyplace else but here at WBAI. And uh, thank you for that. Thank you. And I, I want to encourage listeners to continue to support in your dollars and your donation so we can keep these airways live with WBAI. And I think one more person wants to just say something as well. Yes, Eric. Um, I'm the program director, Linda Perry. You referred to the pieces that I did on Stop and Frisk, Floyd versus City of New York at the news conference, and you appreciated those. And we so appreciate you and your support of this radio station and how you pointed out that it's really like no other in the city and how important it is. So thank you so much. Thank you. Let's continue to fight and continue build on independent radio stations like WBAI. Perfect. Bro President, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Take care. So you have been listening to uh, my sudden guest co-host, Linda Perry. (laughs) (laughs) I so appreciate you too. So welcome back, Jeff. We missed you. So you've been listening to Driving Forces. Uh, I want to thank our guests today, including incoming DA Melinda Katz, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, uh, former uh, NYPD Chief of Department Philip Banks, and the former co-host who will be giving her news report on Sunday at City Watch at 6 o'clock, Celeste Katz. Thank you so much, listeners, for staying with WBAI. Local programming is back. Shakiva Griswold is from the Bronx, a student at LaGuardia Community College. But who am I voting for? Elections whittled down to popularity contests, red versus blue, black versus white, logic versus heart. My heart won't allow me to participate in the farce America calls democracy. The fatter your wallet, the more presidential you become. Blame passed on through generations. Expecting the babies to grow up, yet stay in a child's place. The fate of the world rests in our palms, yet our palms are slick with the oils clogging up our oceans. Oceans that will one day tsunami away the 1% tax breaks. I want Harriet's Tubman spirit to resurrect for one night, just so she could point out the North Star to us again. I want to knock down every Columbus statue I see. In its place, gold-trimmed Kaepernick jerseys will gleam. I ain't afraid to fly. I ain't scared to duke it out with the patriarchy. 
I go Thanksgiving ham for my people so that we could feast later. Don'ts come looking for a place if you ain't putting any bread. So to the powers that be, prepare for the throne you've constructed for my ancestors' bones to crumble beneath you. Griswold is a member of Urban Word NYC. This is listener-sponsored WBAI New York. That's right. This is listener-sponsored community radio and listener and local-controlled WBAI radio here is back here. And, yes, we have resumed local programming here at WBAI. It's been uh, – look, I know for the listeners out there, who have been listening to this station for years and years and someone myself who have been part of this radio station for decades now. I hate to admit that, but it's certainly true. We can all agree whether you like or dislike about this radio station. The one thing we can always agree that drama, we have an abundance for that. We have an abundance of drama.